Chapter Two of the Sacred Herb by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Trial. The Council, in a clear and deliberate voice, opened his speech with an unvarnished statement of the case and a very remarkable story he unfolded. Prelus, as an experienced traveler, had always believed in the impossible but it seemed to him that he had returned to prosaic england to hear a veritable fairy tale there was something extremely fantastic about the way in which the crime was said to have been committed as set forth by the speaker the event happened in this wise sir oliver lanwin the last male heir of an ancient kentish family whose seat was situated near hyde had found himself some forty years previous to the trial a pauper with a newly inherited title seeing no chance in england of rehabilitating his fortunes he had taken what little money he possessed to new zealand leaving his only sister well provided for as the wife of an army officer named chent after making some money in various ways at hokitika sir oliver had purchased a fruit schooner to trade amongst the south sea islands being successful he had bought other ships and for more than thirty years he had been a kind of polynesian merchant prince owing to his wealth and enterprise and keen business capacity he had never married because of an early disappointment and ten years before he had returned to england with a capital representing ten thousand a year with this he had retired to his ancestral seat near hyde and there proposed to end his days in comfort after the fashion of simbad the famous sailor of the arabian nights he brought with him an old shellback mariner steve agstone by name who was an important witness for the prosecution unfortunately said the counsel the man had disappeared immediately before the inquest after hinting to the housekeeper mrs blexie that he had actually witnessed the committal of the crime for which the prisoner was being tried in spite of all efforts made by the police this witness could not be discovered and it was impossible to say why he had disappeared but counsel hoped to produce other witnesses who would prove beyond all shadow of a doubt that the prisoner was guilty after proceeding thus far counsel sipped a glass of water hitched his gown more comfortably on to his shoulders and continued his speech amidst the breathless silence of the listeners being a bachelor sir oliver felt somewhat lonely since he was of a sociable disposition for a few months he kept open house but as his nature proved to be exacting and imperious he did not get on well with his neighbors finally he proclaimed that they were all idiots and closing his doors he became more or less of a recluse it was then that sir oliver's widowed sister mrs chent died suddenly leaving her daughter mona the prisoner to the care of her uncle sir oliver became extremely fond of the young lady who was of a lively and amiable disposition indeed his attachment was so great that he made a will in her favor by which she was to inherit ten thousand a year and the family seat and here proceeded counsel impressively 
i may mention a circumstance which in the light of after events has some bearing on the case mr oliver while bathing at samoa had his leg taken off from the knee by a shark he thus was unable to indulge in field sports in games or indeed in any kind of out-of-door life he therefore took to reading and of a somewhat unusual kind jacob bema paracelsus and elippus levi were his favorite authors from which it can be judged that the dead man took a deep interest in psychic questions he also consulted palmists fortune-tellers astrologers and crystal-gazers frequently asking them down to lanwin grange in fact at the very time when the crime was committed madame marie epingrave a well-known bond street interpreter of the future was staying in the house she will be called as a witness but you can see gentlemen of the jury that the late baronet was an exceedingly superstitious man although clear-headed in business and perfectly capable of managing his affairs it was at this point that shepworth caught sight of prelice and he nodded in a friendly manner then he scribbled a note and sent it by an usher to the young man it proved to be a request that prelice would wait for him at the door when the court adjourned for luncheon prelice slipped the missile into his pocket and nodded a reply shepworth seemed to be pleased with this prompt acceptance and immediately resumed his attitude of attention while counsel continued to boom out facts with the drone of a bumblebee as the narrative proceeded it appeared that a few months before his death sir oliver had received a south sea visitor in the person of a young sailor called captain felix jadby whose father he had known at tahiti the baronet was extremely intimate with the visitor and practically gave him the run of the house captain jadby came and went at will and sir oliver talked to him a great deal in connection with matters dealing with polynesian trade this was not to be wondered at since the baronet having been a traitor himself it was pleasant for him to converse with one who knew about such things unfortunately captain jadby fell in love with the prisoner and wished to marry her she refused to become his wife on the plea that she loved mr edward shepworth and was engaged to him sir oliver was annoyed at the engagement as he desired the marriage with captain jadby to take place on the day of his death he quarrelled seriously with the prisoner and according to madame marie epingrave's evidence since she was present during the quarrel sir oliver stated that if the prisoner did not marry captain jadby he would disinherit her prisoner still refused and retired to her room saying that she would not reappear until captain jadby was out of the house for the sake of peace jadby went up to london that same day with the intention of returning by the ten o'clock train then if prisoner still remained obdurate he intended to say good-bye to his hosts and leave for the colonies within the week and now gentlemen of the jury continued counsel with another hitch of his gown we come to the most important part of the story previous to going to london captain jadby had a wordy quarrel with mr shepworth 
and from words the quarrel came to blows mr shepworth's foot slipped and he slightly sprained his ankle so that he was not able to leave lanwin grange as he desired his position was an unpleasant one since sir oliver was not well disposed towards him on account of the engagement which existed with the prisoner as captain jadby had left the grange mr shepworth wished to go also and would have gone but that his sprained ankle prevented his removal and he therefore remained in his room now gentlemen you can see the position of the several people connected with this matter at the time when the crime was committed captain jadby was in london intending to return at ten o'clock mr shepworth was in his room with a sprained ankle which prevented his leaving it the prisoner was also in her room and even though captain jadby had departed for the time being she declined to come down to dinner madame marie eppingrave and sir oliver dined alone and then the baronet retired to his library where until nine o'clock according to madame marie's evidence he chatted with her on occult subjects also as madame marie will state sir oliver expressed himself strongly on the subject of the prisoner's refusal of jadby as sir oliver was in the habit of retiring early to bed on account of his health his factotum steve agstone entered the library at nine o'clock to bolt and bar the windows there were no shutters and this please remember gentlemen as it is an important point the servants had already retired and after making the library safe steve agstone left the room with the intention of waiting up for captain jadby who was expected back by the ten o'clock train and who intended to walk to the grange madame marie lingered for a few minutes to say good-night and then retired to her bedroom she declares that it was five minutes after nine o'clock that she left the library sir oliver so she says was seated at the table near the window reading and smoking here gentlemen pursued counsel taking up a plan is a drawing of the library he passed it by an usher to the foreman of the jury you will see that there is only one door to the library which leads out into the hall and which is opposite to the fireplace the inner walls of the room on three sides are covered with books but the fourth wall the outer wall gentlemen has in it three tall french windows which lead on to a terrace over a lawn the lawn extends for some distance ending in flower beds these in their turn being encircled by shrubs and farther back by the park trees when madame marie left the room sir oliver was seated at his writing-table marked x immediately before the middle window as the night was chilly there was a fire burning in the grate you understand gentlemen good now we come to the discovery of the crime counsel then went on to state that captain jadby returned according to his promise at ten o'clock that is his train arrived at the station which was about a half a mile from the grange he walked to sir oliver's house as he had no luggage to carry and the night was fine if somewhat cold on emerging from the avenue on to the lawn he saw that there was a light in the library 
and it was here that counsel again drew the jury's attention to the fact that the windows had no shutters captain jadby therefore thought that as sir oliver had not retired to bed he would knock at one of the windows and enter the house that way so as to avoid rousing the other inmates by ringing the bell he advanced to the lighted windows and looked through the middle one which was veiled as were the others with curtains of indian beadwork to his surprise he saw that sir oliver seated at his desk was lying forward on the writing-table i am precise to a fault here gentlemen said counsel jocularly but it is absolutely to be even pedantic so that you will understand sir oliver he continued was lying with his face on his outstretched hands and in an armchair near the fireplace sat the prisoner in a white dressing-gown with her hands on her lap captain jadby could not see very distinctly owing to the beadwork curtains but he saw sufficient to guess that something was wrong especially as his knocking produced no effect either on sir oliver or on the prisoner he unconsciously pushed at the middle window and to his surprise discovered that it was not locked he therefore entered and what he saw made him ring the bell at once to summon the household and what did he see gentlemen of the jury he saw that sir oliver was dead he had been stabbed to the heart under the left shoulder blade apparently while seated at his desk the body had naturally fallen forward the prisoner seated in the armchair with her hands on her lap was in an unconscious state but her hands and the white dressing-gown were stained with blood with the blood gentlemen said counsel impressively of her uncle but before any one could enter the room she revived and on seeing the body of her uncle displayed great terror and horror steve agstone who had been waiting up for captain jadby was the first person to enter and on discovering the dead body of his master to whom he was sincerely attached he at once rushed out of the house for a doctor by this time the servants were aroused by the noise and with them came madame marie eppingrave even mr shepworth lame as he was managed to crawl down the stairs so loud had been the clamor which had awakened him and what did the prisoner say to all this gentlemen she told a most ridiculous story to account for her presence in the library according to her statement which the inspector from hyde took down in the presence of witnesses prisoner said that she could not sleep on account of her quarrel with her uncle she came down the stairs at a quarter to ten o'clock and entered the library with the intention of making friends with her uncle when she entered so she declares the room was filled with pungent white smoke through which she could dimly see sir oliver seated at the writing-table the smoke made her senses reel but by holding her handkerchief to her mouth she managed to stagger to the middle window she had just managed to unfasten the catch when she fell unconscious the next thing she remembers according to her preposterous story is the presence of captain jadby she declares that she did not know when sir oliver was stabbed 
and when she entered the library did not know why it should be filled with smoke when captain jadby entered as he will tell you there was no smoke and the fire had burned down to red cinders again counsel had to drink a sip of water as he had been talking for some time and there was a low murmur of conversation heard before he again began to speak the story which he alleged that miss chent had told seemed ridiculous and even prelus prejudiced as he was in her favor thought that the defense was absurd but miss chent never moved a muscle she did not even change color quiet and without a word she sat in the dock waiting patiently for her innocence to be made manifest and yet as everyone thought her tale was too ridiculous for words and finally gentlemen said counsel taking up his brief i would draw your attention to the medical evidence the doctor called in stated that sir oliver was murdered about ten o'clock mark that gentlemen about the very time the prisoner confesses she was in the library in a state of unconsciousness captain jadby did not arrive until thirty minutes after ten as he did not walk very quickly and again gentlemen no weapon was found wherewith the wound a wide clean wound could have been inflicted but an indian dagger with a jade handle used by sir oliver as a paper knife is missing with that i verily believe the deceased was stabbed and remember gentlemen that the window was unfastened and if we are to believe this foolish tale of a pungent smoke prisoner unfastened it when she entered and immediately before she fainted gentlemen she did faint but not then no can you guess what took place the prisoner came down the stairs to see her uncle perhaps as she declares to make up with him since we may as well give her the benefit of the doubt but in place of reconciliation the quarrel grows more bitter impulsive and furious the prisoner snatches the paper-knife a dangerous weapon remember gentlemen and while sir oliver turns again to his book stabs him in the back she then opens the window and buried the paper-knife all bloody in the garden on re-entering the sight of the dead body shows her what a terrible crime she has committed instead of refastening the window she staggers forward with the intention of regaining her bedroom and of playing the part of an innocent woman but her nerves which maintained her strength and consciousness so far fail at the critical moment she manages to reach the armchair and falls into it unconscious some time after ten o'clock there she lies with blood-stained hands and dress until captain jadby arrives when she recovers her senses to tell a wild and improbable story sir oliver as the medical evidence proves was alive when she entered the library at a quarter to ten he is dead and his blood is smearing the prisoner's dressing-gown at half-past ten when captain jadby arrives and all that time prisoner says that she was unconscious quite so she was up to the moment of captain jadby's arrival and from the moment when she staggered into the room after burying the knife in the garden 
and now gentlemen here counsel went on to state that in spite of all efforts the knife could not be found he also detailed more explicitly the medical evidence and gave the name of the witness whom he proposed to call and ended with a damning indictment of the reasons which had led the prisoner to commit the crime amongst these was the fact that by sir oliver's death prisoner would inherit ten thousand a year at once and would thus have been enabled to marry edward shepworth when his speech was finished counsel sat down wiping his brow and a hum of conversation rose in the crowded court mona's eyes wandered here and there and rested finally on the pitying face of lord prelice for a moment she remained calm and then flushed deeply the first sign of emotion she had given a moment later and she was led away in charge of a warder while the court adjourned for luncheon end of chapter two